You know, are we excited? Are we moved to worship the Lord today? Does it mean something to us? Does it mean a lot to us? Because uh, I'm always struck by our excitement for certain things, but our lack of excitement, motivation when it comes to worship as a church family. I mean, we especially see that with uh, sporting events, right? I mean, maybe we don't want that same type of excitement on Sunday morning as we might have at an Ohio State football game. But then again, wouldn't we expect some type of excitement as we come to Lord and worship? And how, how do you thank you, Greg? How do we wake up in the morning on Sundays? Are we like, man, I go to church. We got football game at one o'clock, you know? Um, a pastor I know talks about a time when he was serving the Lord in a, a different church, a different state, and, and he would was trying to get more energy with their, with their music, with their worship, more excitement. And this guy who was a coin jingler, and that means you just kind of stick your hand in your pocket and jingle your coins during worship because you can't put them up or anything like that, uh, you know, was against any type of maybe expressive, expressive worship, you know. And then this pastor went to a football game with them. It was like an Ohio State football game or something. And the guy's like yelling. He's just all excited. And, and the pastor said, I thought you were against this type of stuff. And he said, well, this is important, you know, because he's at a football game. How important is it when we come to worship the Lord? You know, how motivated are we come to worship the Lord? And that's not really what this sermon was about, is, is going to be about. But it just struck me, you know, as I read, you know, Hebrews 6.10, uh, 6.11, as I read that a little bit, uh, a little bit ago, every priest stands daily ministering and offering Time after time, the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. You know, it was every single day, time and time again, time after time, every priest is standing. That means they're working, they're standing, and, and, and they're doing it every day. The same sacrifices, and it could never take away sins. But Jesus offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, and he sat down at the right hand of God. Wow, glory be to God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? We don't have to worry about it anymore. See, Greg's excited. That's got to excite us. And as we talk about today, we get to the subject today. The subject is the, the, the exclusivity of salvation and the inclusivity of Christianity. You know, salvation is exclusive. It's only through Jesus. But Christianity is inclusive. Anyone of any tribe, tongue, nationality, male, female, anyone can freely be accepted into Jesus' forgiveness of sins. It's totally inclusive. It's, it's totally something to share. It's totally awesome. Heaven is for real. Heaven is free. And heaven is for everyone. Mr. Johnson, a businessman from Wisconsin, went on a business trip to Louisiana. He immediately sent an email back to his wife, Jean. Unfortunately, he mistyped a letter, and the email ended up going to a Mrs. Joan Johnson. No relation. No, it's Joyce Johnson anyways. No. The wife of a preacher who just passed away. The preacher's wife took one look at the email and promptly fainted. When she was finally revived, she nervously pointed to the message, which read, Arrive safely, but it sure is hot down here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I think we got some Louisiana weather here, right? But the Bible teaches that salvation is free to everyone and heaven is for everyone. But it is through Jesus. Chuck Swindoll shares a story which I love. Shortly after World War II came to a close, Europe began picking up the pieces. Much of the old country had been ravaged by war and was in ruins. Perhaps the saddest sight of all was that of little orphaned children starving in the streets of those war-torn cities. Early one chilly morning, an American soldier was making his way back to the barracks in London. As he turned the corner in his jeep, he spotted a little lad with his nose pressed to the window of a pastry shop. Inside, the cook was kneading dough for a fresh batch of donuts. The hungry boy stared in silence, watching every move. The soldier pulled his jeep to the curb, stopped, got out, and walked quietly over to where the little fellow was standing. Through the steamed-up window, he could see the mouth-watering morsels being pulled from the oven, piping hot. The boy salivated and released a slight groan as he watched the cook place them onto the glass-enclosed counter ever so carefully. The soldier's heart went out to the nameless orphan as he stood beside him. Son, would you like some of those? The boy was startled. Oh, yeah, I would. The American stepped inside and bought a dozen, put them in a bag, and walked back to where the lad was standing in the foggy cold of the London morning. The soldier smiled, held out the bag, and said simply, Here you are. As he turned to walk away, he felt a tug on his coat. He looked back and heard the child ask quietly, Mister, are you God? We are never more like God than when we give. God so loved the world that he gave. John 3.16, which we'll look at more in a minute. Swindoll continues, Let me encourage you in spite of the high cost of giving and the small number of servant models you may see around you. To determine to be different, God tells us he loves a cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians 9.7 And he promises that the one who is generous will be blessed. Proverbs 22.9 Let's believe him. Deep, in, deep down inside most Christians, I know, is a deep-seated desire to release instead of keep. To give instead of grab. It is worth whatever it takes. So let's let that start happening. Moms, dads, singles, kids, teachers, preachers, businessmen, professionals, blue-collar workers, students. It's worth it. Become a giver and watch God and watch God open the hearts of others to himself. We're never more godlike than when we give. What a wonderful way to start out John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave. You know, Jesus is our perfect sacrifice. You know, lately I've been reading through the Bible with Mercedes and Abigail. Mercedes is almost 7, Abigail is is 4 going on 18 and um and uh well they both are when they want to be. And uh you know, we're reading through Exodus, and we just read through the Passover accounts, and we read about Passover, you know, the first Passover. And they put the blood of the lamb, you know, right on along the doorposts. And, of course, you know, God's uh, wrath, the angel of the Lord, passes over the Hebrew people. God repeatedly protects the Hebrew people. But what we know, of course, is that Jesus would be the perfect Passover lamb. 
Jesus would be the perfect Passover lamb. You know, they had to have a, a one-year-old Passover lamb, a male without defect. But later, that foreshadows Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave, his, that he gave Jesus the perfect Passover lamb. Think about our, our salvation. Do you praise God for your salvation? In, in Psalm 51, 12, the psalmist says, Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Do we want to be restored to the joy of God's salvation? Do we praise God for that salvation? Are we excited about that salvation? For God giving us salvation did have a cost. So we continue the sermon series on scriptures that I've been convicted to pray for my children. And today we come to a theological truth. I desire that my children and descendants understand the exclusivity of salvation and the inclusivity of Christianity, which is recognizing John 3, 16 through 18, John 14, 6, as well as Luke 9, 23 and Galatians 2, 20. Today we will mainly talk about John 3, 16 through 18 and John 14, 6. Uh, I'm going to have a part two of this message, which will be next week, so you all have to come back. And... Um, We'll focus more on salvation being for everyone. Revelation 7, 8 through 11, and all the tribes, tongues, nationalities. Galatians 3, 28, you know, no longer Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And it is sad that the church is not more multicultural because heaven will be multicultural. If we have problems with different cultures, we're going to hate heaven. Ask God to straighten out your heart because you're going to hate heaven. Heaven is going to be a very loud worship service. It's going to be loud and there's going to be different languages, different natural languages, which God has given people of these different cultures, all united with the common bond, which is we are one in Christ Jesus. Heaven will be multicultural. But today we talk about John 3, 16 through 18, uh, John 14, 6. I'll read those in a little bit. These are scriptures that I've been convicted to pray. I would desire that my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, and so on, I desire that, 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 that the churches that I serve, that we recognize these scriptures and that we live surrendering and submitting to them. You know, John 3, 16 through 18, we'll read in a minute. John 14, 6, we'll read later. But Luke 9, 23 Jesus says, anyone can come after me, but he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow. God gives us a free gift of salvation, but he calls us to be committed. He calls us to follow. Galatians 2.20, Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says, I am crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself as a ransom for me. Can we say that in our own lives? Are we aiming? Are we aiming? To no longer live, but live through Christ within us. To be crucified with Christ. Yes, that's why I pray that. Because I've been convicted. That's, that's how I need to live. Dead to the old self, living for Jesus. So my theme today is to pray that your children and descendants understand the exclusivity of salvation and the inclusivity of Christianity. Recognizing John 3, 16 through 18, John 14, 6, as well as Luke 9, 23 and Galatians 2, 20. John 3, 16 through 18, for God so loved the world. If you're not there, please turn there. Unless you have it totally memorized, then you can take notes in your head. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, 
but that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. God loved and God gave. Notice that God loved the world and God loved to the point where he gave. One Bible scholar points out the Greek construction of this passage puts some emphasis on the actuality of the gift. It is not God loved enough to give, but God loved so that he gave. God loved so that he gave. And and this verse is powerful. You know, all the Bible is powerful, uh, but there was a Bible scholar and he was going around and they were each reading a verse of John chapter 3. And it got to John chapter 3 verse 16. And one young lady said, well, everybody knows John 3 16. To which he said later, if you think that everybody knows John 3 16, then you really don't know John 3 16. God loved so that he gave. The same scholar continues, the construction of the Greek sentence stresses the intensity of God's love. He gave his best, his unique and loved son. The Jews believed that God loved the children of Israel. But John affirmed that God loved all people regardless of race. God loved the whole world. God loved and God loved everyone. No one is left out. God so, God so loved the world. It's the Greek word cosmos. And it means the, inta- the inhabitants of the earth. God loved all the inhabitants of the earth and gave. God loved so he gave. God gave his only begotten son. Or his one and only son. Or his unique son. That, that word translated begotten or one and only or unique is an adjective. And last December, I started researching the Greek of this passage. You know, I was required to study Greek in seminary, and I'm, I'm not that good with it. So I contacted a number of Greek scholars to, to look into this passage a little bit more. There's a 15-minute video free online if any of you want to watch it. Uh, the Jehovah's Witness like the word begotten best. Because it literally means Jesus was born. It literally means, begotten literally means only born. Of course, we know that Jesus was not born. He was never born. He's Alpha and Omega, the beginning of the end. One Greek scholar, Dr. Long from Asbury Theological Seminary, believes unique. Unique is the best translation of that, of that difficult word. The Greek adjective from which we get begotten is monogenes. Monogenes. And it literally means one and only or only born. But this is a case where tracing a word's derivation is not helpful. Because as stated, Jesus was never born. This adjective was also applied to Isaac. And Isaac was the only monogenes of Abraham. Of course, Isaac was born and Abraham did have another son. Yet Isaac was the unique son. He was the child of promise. So as we consider which term is best to translate the Greek, remember that the Greek adjective monogenes literally does mean only born. However, also remember that we do not form theology, or in this case Christology, which is a study of God, the study of Christ, based on one verse. 
We create, we study theology from the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation. And if you look at John's gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, we see Jesus was never born. In the beginning was the Word, and that's Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came into being through the Word. Jesus was never born. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, sticking with that word, son. The rest of that passage picks up the purpose that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Salvation is only through Jesus. John 3.18 says, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Again, the exclusivity of salvation, the inclusivity of Christianity. Salvation is only through Jesus, but it is open to everyone. We have to believe in Jesus. Salvation is open to anyone through Jesus. Salvation is exclusive, and that is through Jesus, but Christianity is inclusive, open to anyone. Uh, a while back... There was a 1996 presidential election, and Senator Bob Dole was running against President Bill Clinton. And I remember watching the debate, and Bob Dole was proposing a tax cut and put all the politics aside. I just like this comment. And at some point, the moderator of the debate says, uh, Senator Dole, you're proposing a tax cut. And Senator Dole did not miss a beat. He came right back and retorted, yes, and you're eligible. Listen, we are all eligible for salvation through Jesus Christ. Everyone who will ever live is eligible for salvation through Jesus. But that salvation is only through Jesus. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Salvation is through Jesus. We see this idea all throughout the New Testament. Actually, all throughout the Bible, we need a way to take care of our sin. How do we take care of our sin? Jesus' blood on the cross is the only way to take care of our sin. But it's open to anyone. It's a free gift. So some applications. Do we believe this truth? Do we believe this truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by Him. Do we really believe this truth that God so loved the world so much that He gave of His only begotten Son, His unique Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life? Do we really believe this truth of John chapter 3, verse 18, that He who believes in Jesus is not judged, but He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Do we believe this truth? And do we care? Uh, salvation is real and eternity is real. Do we believe this truth enough to care? Do we care enough about our salvation, but do we care enough about those that we run into in a day-to-day -day way that we see at work and we see our neighborhood and we see those? Do we care enough to, to pray for the lost, that those don't, don't need him? See, I believe that some are in the church not because they're committed to a relationship with Jesus, but because they're committed to the Christian dogma. They're committed to the Christian teaching. They like the Christian moral values. That's all. 
They're not surrendering to Jesus in a, in a relationship way. They're not making Jesus Lord of their life. And they're certainly not going to share the gospel with those around them because they're only committed to the Christian dogma. They just like the moral integrity. They just like the moral values the Bible teaches. And those moral values are good to anyone. But Jesus calls us to a relationship with him. A seven-day, 24 hours a day, you know, every day of the year relationship of surrender to him. Do we believe this truth? Do we care? Is Jesus your Lord? Are you trusting him for salvation? And do you want others to know Jesus as well? Does it bother you when other people don't know Jesus? Not because you want to be right, but because you want them to have eternal life in heaven. Because you want them to have that fuller life that Jesus offers freely, freely. As John Wesley rode across Hounslow Heath late one night, singing a favorite hymn, he was startled by a fierce voice shouting, Halt! While a firm hand seized the horse's bridle. Then the man demanded, Your money or your life? Wesley obediently emptied his pockets of the few coins they contained and invited the robber to examine his saddlebags, which were filled with books. Disappointed at the result, the robber was turning away when Mr. Wesley cried out, Stop! I have something more to give you. The robber, wondering at this strange call, turned back. Then Mr. Wesley, bending down toward him, said in solemn notes, solemn tones, My friend, you may live to regret this sort of a life in which you are engaged. If you ever do, I beseech you to remember this. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all our sin. The robber hurries silently away, and the man of God rode along, praying in his heart that the words spoken might be fixed in the robber's conscience. Years later, at the close of a Sunday evening service, the people streamed from the large building, with many lingering around the doors to see the aged preacher, who was John Wesley. A stranger stepped forward and earnestly begged to speak with Mr. Wesley. What a surprise to find that this was the robber of Hanzo Heath, now a well-to-do tradesman in the city, but better still, a child of God. The words spoken that night long ago had been used of God in his conversion. Raising the hand of Mr. Wesley to his lips, he affectionately kissed it and said in tones of deep emotion, To you, dear sir, I owe it all. Nay, nay, my friend, replied Mr. Wesley, softly. Not to me, but to the precious blood of Christ, which cleanseth us from all our sin. Let's pray right now. O Lord Jesus, we recognize that your blood covers all of our sin. Your blood is the perfect atonement for our sin. You, Jesus, the perfect Passover lamb. We thank you, God, for loving us, loving the world so much, the cosmos, the whole world, that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. Oh, Jesus, we thank you that salvation is open to anyone through you, even though it is only through you. We have to have the atonement for our sin, the blood to cover our sin. And Jesus, we know it's yours. You took the cross for us. 
Jesus, if there's anyone here who has not committed to you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day when they commit to you, confessing they are sinners in need of a Savior, believing you are the only Savior, trusting in you as Lord and Savior. Jesus, help us all to live for you. Help us all to share the gospel with others. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.